Welcome to No Ordinary Ordinary Women, Women, the podcast where two ordinary broads chat about extraordinary women, the good, the bad, and the batshit crazy. Hi, Rolls. Hi, Lynn. How are you? Fantastic. How are you? Oh, my God. I'm dandy. (laughs) (laughs) I am dandy. I'm dandy, my friends, dandy. Um, what did you do today? Oh, what did I do? Let me see. Mm, nothing. Just sat on the couch, feet up, lie. <laughs> um, well, no thanks to Fed fucking X. I um, that no, lost. Actually, thanks to FedEx that you got to go on this trip. No, no thanks because I would have gotten my shit. I wouldn't know how to do all this if they. I know, but without them, you wouldn't have gone on this trip. So thanks to FedEx, you went on the trip to DC. Oh, really? Is that Should I thank them for allowing me to go to D.C.? No, it's sarcastic, Lynn. Oh. Like, thanks to FedEx, I went, oh. I had to go to D.C. No thanks to FedEx. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so FedEx, as I told you guys last week, I think, lost my passport in transit. I was sending it to a company, a service that would expedite my passport and get it to me very quickly. Um And it's it wasn't a scam, though, you guys. I promise. I know it was somebody that my dad used to work with um anyway so um fedex lost it so then i had to go through the route of getting my passport in person which meant waiting until two weeks before my flight and then calling at the minute the minute the passport office opened and getting an appointment so i leave for my trip on friday to go to austria germany and italy and I got an appointment for today in D.C. Which is Wednesday. Wednesday in D.C. <laughs> That's right. They won't hear this. So, yeah, two days before my trip. And if I, for some reason, couldn't get an appointment or the passport, I would lose the flight, the hotel, everything. Yeah. Because you oh can't get God. insurance or anything for That's that. It's so stressful. So it was a lot of stress of the last couple of weeks. And so FedEx now owes me a lot of money because I had to drive up to D.C. last night, get a hotel because I was not going to try and be in D.C. at 8 o'clock in the morning. Also, all the students are going back to George Washington. So the city oh, was really? kind of crazy. Was it with, crazy? Yeah, it was crazy with that, too. So I stayed way outside the city and then took the metro yeah. in, which was the easiest thing. Um, went to um, the passport office. Oh, my God. Everyone there is so nice. Oh, were they? Got, yeah. That's they surprising. Were, it, I know. But they had Fox News on there. I'm like, you guys are showing fake news. So anyway. Yeah, um, right down I, from the White House. Isn't that weird? So anyway, so went in there, got my pa- – well, went through the process. I had to go back at 2 o'clock to put my pass- pick up my passport, went back, got my passport, and then drove straight here, and now we're recording. So I have my passport in my possession right now. So I'm going so to exciting. Germany and Austria and Italy. That's so exciting. The hills are alive with the I'm sound of music. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Some of us have to stay here, Lynn, okay? Why okay, don't you sorry, just calm sorry. it down a little? Sorry. I'm, I know. No, no. I'm very the happy The fans for you. wrote to me and asked me if I'd sing today. All oh, of our they fans, did? They did. All your fans? You're welcome, guys. I know. Rose didn't like that. No, Rose did not like that. But. And Penelope. Oh, yeah. We have a special we guest. We have a special guest today. Penelope. 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 Lynn's she, dog, in case anyone is wondering. She's a bad little goo in your whole boy food. She's like the size of a <laughs> kitten. She's seven pounds. <laughs> so she stayed at my mom's house last night when I went into D.C. So on the way back into town, I picked, grabbed her from my mom's house and then came here to record. So I haven't even been home from D.C. I feel gross. Like I've been in the Why car. Why don't you ever bring her to record? I don't know. I, I totally could. I just feel like, I don't know, probably. I mean, she, uh, she's pretty good. I mean. Yeah. She. I mean, she's just sitting on my lap right now and she'll. When we would. you hear that? The scratching. Uh, so I stop petting her and she'll scratch the keyboard. When um, we were recording in your house, like the first couple of episodes, uh-huh. remember she would bark in the middle of it? Oh, my God. Because we were in the kitchen and she. Or at, <laughs> oh, no. She would hear stuff in your outside. bedroom. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, those are fun days. Rose said we were recording in my bedroom. We weren't. We were doing the dirty stuff. Yeah. We just... Her husband thinks, oh, sorry, Chris. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Chris doesn't listen, so you can say whatever oh, that's you good. want. That's good. You can say whatever you want about we him. We can go say ahead, whatever go we ahead. want. We don't go. Yes, ma'am. All right, Rose. You ready for my story, Glory? This we is... need to get a fan in this studio. I know, it I know. It's hot as shit. I'm going to... Fan me. Fan the door. One day we'll be rich and we won't have to do this. <laughs> it gets really hot in here really fast. And especially I n- notice, too, um, if we both have our laptops, it gets hotter in oh, here faster. Oh, yeah, that's true. Um, but typically I just bring my iPad. But today I – anyway, so. It's okay. We'll just 
burn up to death. So today's story is brought to you uh, by the request of Bryn, right? Was it yes. Bryn? Yeah, Bryn suggested we do a story on these two women. And it was so exciting because it circled in another person that we've done in the past, which was kind of cool. Oh. And then it also talks about another person from that story. So it's pretty interesting. You'll love this. Okay, okay. I'm so excited. today we're going to embark on an extraordinary journey back to the early 1930s. Oh. In the early 1930s, Elzada Clover and Lois Jodder ventured into uncharted territory, embarking on a remarkable adventure that would not only redefine their own lives, but also challenge societal norms by completing what people said was impossible for all their passion, all for their passion of botany. Botany! Sounds exciting. Are you hot, Penelope? She's panting. Um, This is why I can't bring her, because I'm totally distracted by her. I'm panting a little, too. Are you (laughs) That's that's because of me. (laughs) Yeah, because I'm staring at you. I make you pant. (laughs) (laughs) The journey was one of exploration, determination, and breaking down barriers as they set out to navigate the treacherous waters of the Colorado River and document the botany of the Grand Canyon. Oh. Elzada uh, Clover was born on April 9th, 19... I'm sorry, 1898 in Michigan. She developed an early fascination with plants and nature, which eventually led her to pursue a career in botany. She earned her bachelor degree in 1922 from the University of Michigan and went on to complete her master's degree there in 1923 and then later got her PhD. Throughout her academic journey, Elzada Elzada. Why do I keep saying it wrong? I knew I was going to do this. I said, I don't need to because I hurt, you know, ugh. Oh, because you listened to the book? Yeah. Throughout her academic journey, Elzada displayed a remarkable decision to the study of plants and a keen interest in exploring the the natural world. Before her journey on the Colorado River expedition, Elzada Clover established herself as a respected botanist by conducting fieldwork in various regions, gathering plant specimens, and contributing to the understanding of plant taxonomy. Her research interests primarily centered around the desert plant adaptations. She loved cactus. They was, like, just so fascinated by cactus. So, you know, a cactus can have um, something I learned, um, like one good rain. So you look like you're petting, like, your, your cat, like you're an evil. I'm petting, petting my cat. Like I'm, petting, evil. I'm petting my kitty. <laughs> Rose can't see what I'm petting because my laptop's open. I can't see her at all. I'm not, see petting, moving. I'm not petting Penelope. I'm petting my kitty. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a sick bitch. You okay. are. You're disgusting. Um, so one good rain on a cactus can can make it live like two years. Yeah, because it just sucks up all the yeah, water. Yeah, it's so cool. I already knew and then, that. Like, I learned that in like third grade. Oh, come on, Rose. Stop <laughs> bragging. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I did what learn that. What was I doing in third grade, point. Penelope? Let's tell Aunt Rose what I was doing in third grade. In third, we all know. In third grade, I was having my like hair pulled and my, te- my cheeks pulled by my teacher because she was mean and abusive. Oh, yeah. I forgot. So, brag. Go ahead. Well, brag that's your parents' fault for sending you to Catholic school. Mm, true that. Talk to Mom. <laughs> she does listen. <laughs> she does listen. Yeah, I know. She's going to be like... What? She's going to call me as soon as she's done listening. Just kidding. I'll cut that out. Yeah, because she, oh, <laughs> no, just, just, just a little tidbit of information. She was listening to the Julia Child, and we were talking about falsies. And I was like, maybe it's lashes. And you were saying, maybe I thought it's it was teeth. teeth. And my mom's like, why don't you ask me this stuff? <laughs> falsies were little things they put in their bra to make their boobs look bigger. And I was like, I don't know. I didn't think about asking you. I thought it was eyelashes. <laughs> what would she have thought of you text her mom? What are falsies? <laughs> She wouldn't have cared. She wouldn't have cared at all. But I just didn't even think to ask her. I mean, I was just like, I just thought they were eyelashes. I don't know. I know. We could have also Googled. I've never needed anything such a thing. I've never needed any such a thing. So why would I even assume that? Lynn doesn't need falsies. Yeah, right. So there was an area of expertise that would prove invaluable during the challenging journey through the Grand Canyon. Grand Canyon, the Grand Canyon, Grand Grand Canyon. During this time period, there weren't many women getting PhDs in anything, let alone a science field. So, you know, for women to to excel or do anything in the science field was like impossible. You know, so women who were in this field were only able to. Oh my God, Rose! This infuriated me. I got my ass sweating. I'm already right. (laughs) Women who were in this field were only able to catalog plants they could (laughs) have. 
Penelope's really fucking bored, y'all. She's, oh. <laughs> oh my God. All right, you're going to have to get down. I don't know if the mic picked that up, but that was so funny. <laughs> she totally yawned and made it. She's like, this is boring. She's like, let me out of this fucking place. <laughs> anyway, so women who were in this field were only able to catalog plants they could obtain on a leisurely walk. They were not allowed to do anything dangerous, anything oh treacherous. They couldn't hike or scale anything. They had it only on a leisurely walk. It was a rule. Like, it was an absolute That's so rule. so weird. No adventures, no rough terrain, no camping, nothing. What the fuck? Because it's not acceptable for a lady, Rose. But Lo- Rose, how would they know where she got it? I guess they know like where well, the stuff I mean, grows. based on the plan, I guess. I don't know. But that was just the rules. And, you fucking... know, people didn't push the rules as much then that they would now. People yeah. now would be like, fuck off, and they do it anyway. But I think back then people just didn't push the rules. So Lois, so that's, okay, okay. Lois Jotter was born on December 16th. I said 1900. I don't think that's right. Yeah, you said 1800, the other person. Oh, she was born. Yeah, that's right then. Okay, I'm going to back up. That's right. I feel like that was wrong. Lois Jotter was born December 16th, 1900 in Missouri. She was drawn to science from an early age and pursued her passion through higher education. She graduated from the University of Illinois in 1923 and subsequently earned a master's degree in plant psychology from the University of Michigan in 1925. Later on, she finished her Ph.D. after the exhibition. Um, Before her involvement in the Colorado River Expedition, she was already making strides in the field of botany. She had previously worked in Yosemite as a National Park Service naturalist. She collaborated with uh, Elzada. Elzada. Damn it. (laughs) I was so sure I'd get this right every time. She collaborated with Elzada and others on research projects focusing on topics like plant ecology and the adaptation of desert plants. Lois's expertise in plant physiology and her dedication to advancing science knowledge positioned her as a valuable member of the expedition team. Elzada Clover and Lois Jotter's paths crossed due to their shared passion for botany and their commitment to scientific exploration while at the University of Michigan. So Elzada had a doctorate in botany and she was teaching at the University of Michigan. (laughs) Michigan. (laughs) <laughs> Y'all, I'm so fucking tired. You look like you're wearing the heart of the ocean. <laughs> oh, I am. That's all I can it's, think about when I look real. at you. It's real. It does look real. Yeah. I'm about her age, too. <laughs> yeah. Look it. Megan gave this to me. If Megan listened, I'd be like, thanks, Megan. But she doesn't listen She doesn't either. listen either? She's a bitch. So only your mom listens? <laughs> mom. Uh, Joanne listens sometimes. Nobody, nobody in my family listens either. So I can great. talk shit about all of them. Yeah, we can talk shit about everybody. My mom listens. Except your mom. Brandon told me today that he listens, but I don't know if I believe him. So what should we say about Brandon to make him? Huh. 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 How about those pictures that you sent me? Oh, my God. <laughs> Brandon went on quite an adventurous camping trip this weekend, (laughs) last weekend. Anyway, we'll see if he says anything about that. (laughs) I should share him on our our way. No, maybe I shouldn't. Anyway, um, Elzada Elzada had a doctorate in botany and teaching at the University of Michigan, and Lois was a grad student just a few years away from getting her doctorate. The two shared an apartment in Michigan due to so many common interests— Their academic backgrounds and expertise made them a great team for the challenges that lay ahead on the Colorado River. Their prior experiences in conducting fieldwork and studying plant adaptations in challenging environment prepared them for the unique demands of the expedition. The scientific community of the time was riff with gender biases, and women are often marginalized or dismissed in fields such as botany and exploration. This required additional determination and resilience. Yet, Elzada and Lois were undeterred. They said, bring it on, motherfuckers. That's what they said. Oh, my God. I think women <sighs> I think could I had swear like that. Today. <laughs> they probably didn't swear like that. <laughs> uh, that was my quote, not theirs. <laughs> <laughs> FYI. <laughs> yeah, everyone's shocked by that. Yeah, I know, I know. In the summer of 1937, Elzada, Elzada, oh, my God. 
I, I'm going to kill myself. I can't do this. <laughs> I can't do it anymore. I'm done. <laughs> All right. Elzada. Podcast is over, guys. <laughs> okay. In the summer of 1937, Elzada visited the southwestern U.S. to study cactus. Like I said, her favorite. You mean cacti? Cacti. Cactus. No, it's cacti. There's no I in cactus. No, but it's... It's ca- a us, so it's we. <laughs> no, it's I. <laughs> <laughs> it's I. <laughs> oh, my God. She stayed in a town called Mexican Hat. And I say town, with little air quotes. Mexican it was Hat? Super tiny. Yeah, it's, it's so there's a rock um, in the distance that's kind of shaped like a sombrero. So, so the town is called Mexican Hat. There's not, like a mountain shaped like a... It's kind of like Chinaman's Hat in Hawaii. That's what it, I thought of it. Oh, uh, yeah, that's right? true. Oh, my God. I can't believe I had to say that. and You didn't know. <sighs> Rose. Well, sorry, Lynn. The Mexican Hat Lynn. Lodge was the only accommodation for miles and miles. She paid $2 a night for her room. Let me that tell you how much expensive. I paid for my room last night. A lot of money. That sounds expensive for back then. $2 a night? Yeah. So 1933, houses were $5,885, I think, for the average what? house. What? I read that today. I was getting ready to say, what the fuck, you guys? <laughs> My coworker since, had, when since when are you a statistics person? <laughs> My coworker had a, a thing because somebody had a birthday and she had like a like a uh, board. A board like, like, this happened yeah. in 1933 and it's like a resident birthday party. Uh-huh. The month We have a monthly. And she was going to put it out. So I read all about 1933 today. Oh. So, yeah, I mean, right, $2 a night. You said it seems expensive. Yeah, so the average um, income was $1,500 a year. Right. And the average house was $5,800 a year. I don't know. $2 seems like a lot. Out of, a thousand, out of 1500 Well, she didn't make shit. She didn't even make that. So, you know, because she was a woman, so she didn't make Yeah, little. right. She probably made like, I don't know. That seems like a lot. I don't know. I'm just telling you. I thought it wasn't much. It be like 75 cents. I wasn't Especially looking at since a chart. you know it's not a nice hotel Well, in yeah. Mexican hat. Fucking. The lodge. I mean, it was owned by, started and owned by his family. This this guy that I'll talk about him later, but it was started and owned by his family. Yeah. So I don't know. Anyway, okay. she spent two weeks there with a colleague from the university. She asked for financial. <clears throat> what the fuck was that? Oh, that gate might have fallen over. Oh, I bet that's. Oh my god, that scared the shit out of me. Fucking gunshot. It scared the <laughs> shit out of me. I'm like. <laughs> oh yeah, you God. stay there also. That scared the shit out of me. I'm sorry. I'm a little jumpy from being in DC too because <laughs> I didn't think it was a gunshot. I just thought somebody dropped something. I was like, what could that have been? But it had to have been that gate. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. I I know that sound from having baby gates okay. just recently. Okay. Wow. All right, take a deep breath. Okay. Then. <laughs> She spent two weeks there with a colleague from the university. She asked for financial assistance from the university, but was denied. So she paid for the trip herself. You can imagine she makes shit for money and she was doing this. I wonder how much she was making. While she was there, I think they might have said it, but uh, while she was there, she connected with a lodge, the lodge owner, Norman Nels. She, that sounded stupid. While she was there, she connected with the lodge owner and his name was Norman Nels. She told him that she wanted to catalog the plant life on the Grand Canyon. So the two of them got to talking, and they were, like, chit-chatting about it. And so her her initial plan in her mind was to go hiking and then use pack mules to get to the canyon uh, riverbeds. And then – but he was, like, a river guide. He was trying to be a river guide. He was, like, a local river guide. Yeah, he wasn't, yeah. like – but he wanted – he really wanted to do be a river guide on the Colorado. So – so she's just planning to break the rules of not of being a woman and not supposed to be. She's not supposed to be doing that. Yeah, she is. Okay, she All is. Right. So Norman, it was Neville's, not Nellis. I don't know what the fuck I was doing. I left out a letter. Sorry. Anyway. <laughs> okay. So he Norman Neville's was a river guy at the time for like small time, and he he convinced her to undertake a water route so when he did that so that the the expedition actually was ended up being called the neville's expedition because it was his oh, boats and because stuff. he's a man because he's a man yeah and uh, that penis, penis it gives you a lot of pull <laughs> he pulls on it a lot or whatever he <laughs> 
He told her he dreamed of launching a commercial rafting business on the Colorado, even though he had never run the river himself. I'm like, dude, you want to do it commercially and you've never done it yourself? What the hell? So together they could do anything. In like in like one day, they like decided we're going to do this. So they planned the expedition down the river. They're like, we're going to do this. And so like it wasn't right away, but they talked back and forth for several months before it ended up coming to fruition. Um, The trip would be. Elzada's Elzada's closed. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Elzada. The trip would be Elzada's way to make her mark. No one had done this before. And she was like, I'm ready. Because she, she just felt like, you know, it's the only way she could be, like, so what, famous for what she was. Sorry to interrupt again. Were you allowed to do it if you were with a man? What? The. the like, like, if as a woman, were you allowed to, like, go hiking and stuff for botany? If no, you it just were said women were only. So men would have to go and get the difficult ones. The women were not allowed, allowed to get. To no, at all. they weren't okay. allowed to. So I guess she was like, "Fuck off! I'm doing it anyway." Yeah. At this point, so the news of them planning this trip went viral, if you will, as viral <laughs> as it could back then. The newspapers had little doubt that the hodgepodge crew would fail. They had little doubt that the hodgepodge hodgepodge crew would fail. That didn't make sense. Had little doubt. Yeah, it did. Yeah. The newspapers had little doubt the hodgepodge crew would fail, even perish on the river. Women like Clover and Jotter weren't sturdy enough, Rose, to survive the journey. Journalists oh wrote God. papers across the country. They were really skinny. Yeah. Well, the one, don't you think the one looks like Yana? Have you seen the pictures? Oh, my God. Doesn't she look just like she Yana? She totally looks like Yana. I'm like, and she has the attitude, too, completely. So society had a firm, firmly established certain rule, role. Society had fir- you're gonna hate me when you're editing this. Society had firmly established certain. Ro- <laughs> I'm gonna start over again. <laughs> Society had firmly established certain roles for women, and undertaking a dangerous expedition rose was far from the norm. They were met with raised eyebrows. Back then, they didn't really have eyebrows, didn't they? Just paint them on. No, that was later. <laughs> that was the nineties. <laughs> yeah, that was the nineties. Skepticism and. At times, outraged criticism for daring to adventure to the unknown. Wow. Yeah. Outrage, huh? They Everyone thought that this was just too wild for a woman to do. The president of the Explorers Club, and just for you, I looked up what the Explorers Club was, Rose. The Explorers Club, since 1904, headquartered in New York City with a community of chapters around the world. The Explorers Club has been supporting scientific expeditions of all disciplines and uniting our members with the bonds of good fellowship for over a century. Wow. Thank you for that. But women were unsuited for exploration, according to this president of the Explorers Club. You know, they were just unsuited for it. Oh, of course. Women could go, he said. Women could go with a husband or another male companion. Oh, as long as somebody with a penis was there. Right, to direct them with their penis. But not on their own because they were too sensitive, Rose. Unable to stand the annoyances of an expedition. They they deal with the annoyance of a man. I know. I mean, so you want them to deal with a man and be on an expedition? No. Instead of being... I think the women want to go on the expedition to get away from the man. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. And they're saying yeah. they have to go on the expedition and be with, oh, a, man. with a man. Oh, I see what you're saying. I mean... Yeah. So he told Clover that she should bring a college-age boy and another woman to help. He reminded her that no woman has ever lived to make the trip all the way through. She said she'd rather die, do something exciting than nothing at all. There you go, sister. I like that attitude. Reach. Anyway, she asked a 25-year-old zoologist to accompany them. He was uh, hoping to catch and taxidermy birds of the Colorado, which is kind of cool. Oh. Yeah. She knew she That's needed kinda, to bring another woman so people wouldn't assume something inappropriate was going on with her and all these men. Oh, okay. So she knew she needed a woman she'd be able to get along with because... This is close quarters, right? Yeah, right. And so since Lois had been her roommate and they got along well, she invited her. She also needed a needed to figure out how to finance this trip. The uh, women at this time made pennies on the dollar compared to men. Um, she asked the university for a four hundred dollar grant. They gave her three hundred. Of course, if it was a man, they would have given given him five hundred. Yeah, right. Or a thousand. And then uh, Lois needed to borrow $200 from her dad to pay for her portion of the trip. She and her father decided not to tell the rest of the family just yet. (laughs) When they did tell her mother and the rest of the family about the trip, one week later, 
The Saturday Evening Post put out a seven-page spread about the first person to ride the entire Colorado. He had found traces of people who had tried this but never made it. He said <laughs> he said he only made it because he was so manly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's what it takes. Lois admitted that her family to her family this was dangerous, but they had most of the dangers covered. <laughs> What's so funny is that uh, Neville's had no experience. They had none of I the know, dangers. Nobody's saying shit about him. Nobody, nobody knows what the fuck they're doing at all. And, I but mean, at least these women, like, I mean, they're like they've probably like actually researched it. This guy's like, oh, I'm going out on the river. Yeah, I'm just gonna get on my boat. <laughs> and there was not even a boat designed for this back then. Oh you think God. about it, they didn't have rubber rafts. Yeah, that's true. So the <laughs> what were they going on? Like a wooden? He built wooden boats to um, to navigate through the river. They had three boats. So how does that work? Because like I when like I float hit... down the river, when I went floating with the kids, mm-hmm. some parts your ass gets stuck on the rock. Yeah, well, the Colorado. I'm sure there are places like that, but maybe back then it wasn't because. Um, there wasn't as many dams and stuff, so I don't know. If, uh, it, maybe it definitely it was... flowed differently than it does now yeah. because there wasn't dams. You're probably right. The Hoover Dam had just been built. And they uh, used to, like, take ships down the river, down the rivers. Not the Colorado. Not the Colorado, but I, was like, <laughs> I guess they do still do that. Never mind. Yeah, but, like, I'm the Mississippi and stuff. It's really weird when you go, like, when I've been to the Mississippi, like, because it's right near Sherry's house. It's, like, right, the yeah. town is on it. And you see, like, you're like, oh, I just passed Mississippi. And it's, like, it's a river, and it's, like... Huge. It's like it's like the width of twenty nine, side to yeah. side, maybe two of those. Yeah, right. right. So it's not you can see the other bank, and there's ships like ginormous cargo ships. So I, I don't know how deep, and I mean, it, it must be so deep. It's so weird in my brain. Like I can't wrap my brain around a ship that big in a river. Like, That's why it was so I've hard ever for seen them, them in to the ocean. cross. Hmm? Like when you know in the old like western movies when they try to cross the Mississippi, it'd be like impossible to find the spot well it's so it's like huge it's and it's so super deep. dangerous the currents in it are insane yeah. like there's like really weird currents that go like so um they there is my girlfriend's daughter uh was oh dating God, a boy a girlfriend i have a girlfriend my bestie um she she lives Not in me. illinois and she her daughter was dating a guy that was out on a boat with some of his friends on the mississippi fishing yeah. and they were short a life jacket and the boat, um, it, I don't know if the water was rough or if a boat came through and created a wake. I can't remember what happened. I think the water was rough that day. And their boat capsized. And one kid drowned. And he had given his, he was the one that owned the boat. He had given his life jacket to the other kid because he's like, I don't need it. Yeah. And then they had the dog on the boat. It was just like a little John boat on the fucking Mississippi. Could you imagine being in a John boat? It's like, it's like you standing next to the Empire State Building and being like, hey. Yeah. I mean, it's that, it's just crazy. crazy. They're in a John boat on the Mississippi and they capsized. The dog kept going under trying to find the boy. Oh, no. And he drowned. They found him like miles up the river. But when they got, pulled to safety by a cargo ship going by. So I don't understand how... Because like, you can't make it to the side. The how current's come people too bad. Can't, how come people drown when they... Like, if you know how to swim, is it just because the currents are so mm-hmm. bad? The currents just pull you under? The water was really rough that day, if my if I'm not mistaken. And the currents are horrendous. Okay. Like, they'll just take you. It's like the worst undertow you can imagine. Because the currents are... They don't run, like, right on the surface as much as they run underneath or something. Uh, I don't understand it. But Sherry said it's super dangerous. Interesting. So when Ashley came to visit me and we were – and I said we're going to go ride the river in the kayak. Yeah. She was like, just don't tell my dad. And I'm like, why? And she's like, I'm not allowed on the river. And I was like, oh, girl. What do you – I was like, wait, what do you mean? She goes, we're not allowed on the river at all. And I was like – Oh, really? Really? And she was like, yeah. And so she's like, it's the Mississippi's danger. I'm like, oh, girl, this is nothing like this. <laughs> We're not going on the No, this is the right vanna. It's like it's like a drainage ditch, a little bit bigger. You know, it's like it's not a drainage ditch. I mean, but, it's so yeah. different than no, like, the she, Mississippi. But that's what she was thinking, yeah, Mississippi. Yeah. So anyway, okay. So the Colorado River expedition was not only a pivotal moment in their lives, but also a culmination of their years of dedication and scientific discovery. They both knew their journey through the Grand Canyon would go on to cement their names in history as pioneers. In both exploration and botany. I love that word. Botany. botany. I, I know. like saying it. I feel like botany. If I had more kids, I'd name them botany, botany, botany. You'd name them all that? Botany. Three different ones? 
Yeah, I, one would be botany, the other would be botany, and the other would be botany. Oh, botany. Hey, botany. Botany. <laughs> okay. This challenged the norms uh, and leaving them enduring a legacy for generations to come. So indigenous folks had been living there and riding these rivers forever. Yeah, right. Right? So... Women and men. Yes. That's... So... But for the white folks, this place was like the last secret no one had cracked in the United States. Like, it was... It's it's a bit of a trip, really. The river was a wild beast, mostly untouched by dams back then. So picture this. The Hoover Dam just got slapped together, and Lake Mead was still trying to fill up. No Glen Canyon dam in the picture yet. The water was like, yeah, I'm going to do my thing. So before El Zeta and Lois, there was a bunch of other non-Indigenous men who tried their luck on the river. So I think I talk about this later, but I want to bring it up again. Um, so when she, after the trip, Elzada said, you know, like people are like, you're the first woman. How do you feel? She's like, and she was very clear and very specific on saying I'm the first um, white woman to do it. I know there has to be other indigenous, there has yeah, to be indigenous right. women who have done this. There's just no record of it. Right. But there, but I am definitely the first white woman, but there is, But wasn't Lois with her? Well, no, they were, not okay. her, but they were, yeah. So, um, That's so, like you being like, yeah, I'm the first woman to podcast. And I'd be like, bitch, well, we both podcast. But I start it because I go welcome too, so I'm the first one. <laughs> 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 Got you there. <laughs> so, um, so we're talking about a dozen between dozens between oh no I'm sorry we're talking about a dozen between nine, 18 fuck me we're talking about a dozen <laughs> no? or so okay. between 1869 and 1938 Indi- non-indigenous men trying to get down this river oh they were all about that exploration game that's part of it. <laughs> in 1869 John Wesley Powell the first non-native to successfully run the river nearly starved to death <laughs> In 1889, three drowned on a trip. The survivors of that trip were scurrying to the top of the rim and nearly died during a landslide. The top of the rim. Then in 1920, <laughs> at the top of the rim, they were getting a rim job. <laughs> then in 1928, Bessie and Glenn Hyde's boat was found completely intact, but they were they were nowhere to be found. <gasps> That's the people from your story? That was Bessie and Glenn. Remember? Did they die there? Well, remember, they were missing. They never uh, found them. So I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. But I just thought that was really funny because I was like, weird. wait, why does that sound familiar? Yep. Interesting. So in the story, well, I'll talk about it in a minute. We'll talk about it in a minute. Many drowned just trying to cross the river, got trapped between capsized boats, etc. There was... Heat stroke, hypothermia, exhaustion, wrong step and fell off a cliff, struck by lightning, crushed by a rock. A camp was found midway down a canyon, a gold watch hanging on a tent pole, tents all intact, a loaf of bread in a Dutch oven over a fire that was out, and the people gone without a trace. Just nowhere to be found. What the fuck? This was just like, this is all the stuff that- they buried them? In, maybe. In 19, or they fell in the river, like one fell in, the other one tried to save him or whatever, and then they just died. In 1933, at Snake Gulch Trail, a rattler struck at a man. The snake, the snake missed him, but he died anyway of a heart attack on the spot. <gasps> that would be me. 100% be <laughs> yes. me. I would be like, I'm dead. For sure. I, absolutely. Needless to say, so that was all in the article that came out in the, in the oh, Saturday Post. okay. Right after she told her family, like a week later, you all know, that her, stuff. Her mom called the newspaper and was like, you need to write an article. <laughs> so week after, I don't want my daughter to go on this. So week after Lois told her family, that article came out with all those statistics and her family was freaking out. <laughs> they were terrorized by the, by the idea of her going. She had to censor what she was writing to the family while on the trip as to not freak them out even more. Her father warned her that that she would come back a different person. The river river would change her. The two women were very ready for the trip, arranging and rearranging their supplies. They were overexcited about their plants, plants they had not seen anywhere else in the world. The student newspaper, the Michigan Daily, printed on the front page, faculty women to face danger in a stormy Colorado for science. Can you imagine being excited by plants? Like, I'm not a plant person at all. I mean, I do like watching. During the pandemic, I planted some seeds and I went out 
at least three times a day to see them growing because it was like the only thing that brought me joy. I was so excited. And I, I could have like, dropped my kids off weed? with you during Independence. Or is that a plant? But that's otherwise I'm just like, yeah, that's good. Like it's I do good. like when the grass grow, like when we plant grass and it grows, but I'm not like, I don't know. I'm just not a plant person. The student paper of the Michigan Daily printed on the front page, faculty women to face a danger, to face danger in stormy Colorado for science. The final paragraph of the article said, despite doubts over the adventure, they assured questions that there's no danger in a carefully planned expedition. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, the Ann Arbor News picked up the story as well. So Buzz Holstrom, who had run the river a year earlier, said, women have no place on this world in this in the world. I'm sorry. <laughs> Buzz Holstrom, who had run the river alone a year earlier, said women have their place in the world. But they do not belong on the canyon of the Colorado. Oh, he whatever. also stated one way to ruin an expedition, Rose. Bring a woman. Bring a fucking woman. Yeah, that's right. Fucking women. That's because you can't. You can't. All the guys can't sit around and like eh, touch each other, chug each other's uh, whatever. Anyway, anyway. So <laughs> when Clover and Jotter started the trip, Holstrom wrote to his mother. Now these women are in the canyon. If they make it, I guess I'll be. T- it'll be time for me to go hide somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> you got that right. So when our two trailblazers, Elzada and Lois, decided to tackle the Colorado, everyone with a typewriter was all ears. They were departing the next day. In the morning, she still had packing to do, iron a dress, and get her hair done for the media coverage. They had last-minute photo shoot, shouted goodbye to all that came to see them off. In Mexican hat, Nevels was still working on the boats. He was having trouble with the design. The boats were almost unsinkable. Almost, Rose. He's still working on them the day they're leaving? Yes. Oh, my God. He was alive when the Titanic sank, so he didn't want that to happen. <laughs> it's so funny. So it's Nevels, and I, I've spelled his name four ways at this point. <laughs> I just realized this. So... On the boats, like I said before, was Neville's expedition painted on the white boats because he wanted the advertisement. Was it different spelling on each boat? Probably. probably. (laughs) He probably forgot how to spell his name. (laughs) So imagine this. They were going to be the first non-Indigenous women to ride those waves. They didn't end up – if they didn't end up as fish food, (laughs) the newspapers were eating that story up. (laughs) There is – was – Currently, no documented case of a woman successfully traveling down the Colorado River before 1938. That year, Dr. Elzada, Elzada Clover and graduate student Lois Jotter were the first women to make the trip. The last woman who attempted the Colorado River, Bessie Hyde, in 1928, who disappeared with her husband on their honeymoon trip and was never found again. This was one of a, this was kind of held up as an example of why it was a bad idea for them to attempt this trip, or any woman for that matter. Well, he also went missing. So... (laughs) Along with many other men. Yeah. So, in case you haven't listened to this episode, the Georgie White episode, I'm not sure which episode, it's early on. It's like in the first probably five, would you say? So, Georgie White was the first woman to successfully... um, commercially bring people down the Colorado in her business. And she was a trip. So if you haven't listened to that episode, go back and listen to it. It's one of my favorites still. But um, so they talk about Georgie White in, uh, in, in the story of Georgie White. They talk about Bessie Hyde. So Bessie, in, in this story, they don't – in the story that when I read the information about Georgie, they said nothing about Bessie and her husband um, – going down the Colorado, I, I got the impression they were hiking in the, oh. in the... I didn't get the impression they were on the Colorado. I may have totally just missed that bus, but anyway, so the story is, as far as the Georgie White tales go, is that she and her husband disappeared and that she killed her husband and then made it out without him. Yeah. That's the story. So they don't talk about that at all in any that's of the stuff I read for this. Wonder... So, And at one point in the book, and they said, and that's a whole nother like um uh what's the word like a a whole another rabbit hole to go down with bessie and i was like oh that's what she means but i could be wrong but so it's thought that bessie hyde killed her husband threw him overboard did whatever the fuck she did and then got away and then hiked out by herself and then changed her name to georgie white and then lived lived the rest of her life oh that's right right i remember now because they found her bessie and they found 
um, they found her marriage certificate in Georgie White's like dresser when she died. Like, why would she yeah, have right. that? Yeah, right, yeah. And wasn't there, like, a picture? There's something else. I thought there was something else that made I, them. No, think. she had said on a couple of the on a couple of the kayaking trips, on the, the river trips, that she was like, I might have been. Like, she was, like, alluding to yeah. it. And, but she was a big storyteller. Yeah, right. And But why would she have her, her marriage why would, license? And, and so people say that know her, that absolutely not, she was not her, one. Two, they also say that um, she's the kind of person that would have had that in there just to fuck with people yeah. after she died. But how so, would, she, would she have gotten it? How, right. That's my thought. How would she get her hands on it? I don't know. Anyway, so. Unless she happened to be like one of the people that found the camp? Or... No, they didn't find the camp. They So her boat was found. Their boat was found completely intact. Her diary was in there. There was like stuff. Well, they would have in... had their marriage license on the boat. No, it wouldn't have been on the boat. So she had would have had to go to like her house and get it? I don't know. That's really weird. But they, I mean, this was way before her time though. Yeah. No, it wasn't way before her time because it was it was it could have been her. So it wasn't way before her time, but it was before the time that she was down at the. I don't know. Anyway, so she, that's the whole connection. And when I read that about Bessie Hyde, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> so I th- I thought it was very cool. So like I said, if you haven't listened to that episode, go back and listen to the Georgie White episode. It's freaking awesome. So the journey of itself, the journey itself was a test of their physical and mental fortitude. Rafting the Colorado River River required only technical as not only technical expertise but also a sheer also sheer courage. Lois actually packed up all her stuff before she left, just in case she didn't make it back. Her whole apartment was packed up. Oh, that's smart. So I guess they secretly did worry that they might not come back. Um, but on the outside, to their family and press, they act like everything was going to be fine. No worries, we got it. Yeah. We got maps. We got better boats. Norm Nevels is a pro. <laughs> <laughs> the fuck you is? He's not a pro. He's a baker. But but honestly, those were all fibs because they they were they had no idea gloating yeah, right. that they were, they had it in the bag, but they definitely didn't think they did. So Neville's had never done this trip before, and the boats were untested. Just oh my god, he made design, asked some people to design, and you know, winging a prayer, hope they would work. <clears throat> Excuse me. Tots and pears. Elzada and, and Lois. What? Tots and pears. Tots and pears, yeah. <laughs> Elzada and Lois really wanted to grab this chance and collect plants, even though they knew there was a lot of risks and a lot of tough times. Unlike contemporary expeditions um, that have access to advanced equipment, technology, Elzada and Lois embarked on their journey with relatively basic gear. I would say less than basic. They navigated the river using traditional rafts. When I and it, they say rafts, and I'm like, no. When when you when you tell me raft. I think like like a a rubber rubber boat, right? No, they were wooden fucking boats Um, and equipment that required manual effort, adding an extra layer of physical challenge to their adventure. They kicked off in Green River, Utah and had a couple of smooth days floating down that part of the river. You know, they were probably like, this is so much fun. It's nice. (laughs) Then they got to the Colorado with these big ass canyons, Cataract Canyon, which Caitlin talked about that. That's like an intense set of rapids. Um, Glen Canyon, which is under Lake Powell now, but wasn't then, and the Grand Canyon. Elzada Clover and Lois Jotter were not alone in their endeavor. Their companions on the trip included two boatmen, a photographer and the zoologist. So there was Neville's, a photographer, two boatmen, the zoologist, and them. So their companions, not only instrumental in assessing with practical aspects of the expedition, but also in providing emotional support and camaraderie. That's a brave photographer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Sharing the challenges and triumphs of the journey with people of different areas and livelihoods kept things interesting. There were six of them on this venture. See, I said seven. There was two guys, Neville's, photographer, zoologist. Maybe the one guy. I don't know. That's weird because it says six, but I think there were seven. Anyway. No, it was six. I don't know where I screwed up. Anyway, the plan was for three guys to handle the rowing boat stuff while the ladies grabbed the plants. Um, But that plant went out the window fast. They realized everyone needed to help with the boats. So the ladies hardly had any time to collect plants. They'd be up before sunrise and working after sunset to gather plants. So once they stopped, they would like the two women would like like climb up rocks and get into crevices and stuff and get these amazing cactuses and stuff that were growing and yeah. like stuff they'd never seen in their lives. Like in the way it grows, like it grows only on the, like the, the west side of a rock in a crevice 
And then this one only grows like in an east side of a rock with a crevice and yeah. up high or down low, just depending. It's really kind of cool. So so they stopped every night? I guess, yeah, it seemed like it. And then that's when they would do their exploring. Okay. So, um, so plus they had to cook, the women had to cook for the whole crew. It's like nobody talked about this beforehand. It was just assumed that the women would do the cooking. So they were crazy busy and totally worn out. Of course, the women have to do the cooking. But yeah, they, they probably came back to the camp at like 11 and the guys are like, what are you going to make for dinner? And they say now it's very, um, it, it's well stated who's doing the cooking on these trips or if they, they're going to divide it up or whatever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I need to ask Caitlin about that. On the first day of the Colorado River, they stopped at the first rapid to figure out the best way to get a, get through it. But, oops, one of the boats got loose because it wasn't tied properly. Oh, no. The food was divided between the three <gasps> boats easily, evenly, so losing one boat meant big trouble. That's a oh, lot of no. food. So Lois dashed to the shore and hopped into another boat with the with Don Harris, another of the, with one of the boatmen, to chase after it. While he rode the boat, she was using a coffee can to scoop water out of the boat that was coming in from the rapids, she got cuts all over her hands from the sharp edges of the cans. They ended up going about four miles through seven major rapids without scouting ahead. Harrison Jotter um, had never tackled rapids before. <laughs> it was like this super long rapid with high water all the way. They, they spot the boat, and Harris decides he'll hoof it back to let everyone know things are fine. So they got the boat, they pulled it up on the shore, yeah. and then he walked back the four miles, and okay. she just sat there. He left Lois there. She spends the first night by herself in the Colorado River. You'd expect her to be scared, right? Like, I would have been fucking terrified. But she was like, nope, just chilling out. Listening She's probably to looking at all the plants. Yeah, I mean, my God. So the two women had to paddle through tumultuous waters, brave hazardous conditions, and face the constant threat of danger. Their determination and skill, however, proved that their capabilities were not defined by their gender. Work! <laughs> So together, the women and their companions faced the unpredictable currents of the Colorado, encountered untamed beauty of the Grand Canyon, and worked diligently to document the region's botany. Their ability to adapt to harsh conditions, their resilience in the face of challenges, and their determination to make significant contributions to science marked them as trailblazers in the ex exploration and research. Admit, ad, amidst Admit, amidst, what can I say that word? Amidst the changes, their resilience shone through. They diligently documented plant life along the riverbanks, capturing a wealth of botanical knowledge that would later contribute significantly, significantly to the understanding of the Grand Canyon's ecosystem. So it's all about like the plants are growing high. Were they? Yeah. Why were they growing higher? Why were the such, ones growing lower? Scientific... It was so cool. So the dedication of their work and their ability to navigate both nature's challenges and so societal prejudices showcase their unwavering commitment to science and exploration. So another mishap occurred when they had left. Um, so when they were collecting the plants, they had a bunch of newspapers and they were stacking them. Yeah. The, the cactuses and the plants between the newspapers and they were holding them together that way. Um, and so they were pressing them. And so they had left a whole stack like oh, one third of their collection at the bottom, and they were sending a pack mule. Somebody was supposed to be coming down with a pack mule to get them and bring them back up. I guess she had prearranged a designation, like okay. a, a place for this. Well, um, once they finished the trip, I'll tell you this now because anyway, once they finished the trip, they were gone. Like nobody had gone and gotten them or anything like that. They were missing one third. And so she and they thought that Neville's did it to sabotage them so he would be the most famous one oh, and not them. Yeah. But it's like a third of the plants they had collected. Yeah. So anyway, I'll get to, I'll talk more about that in a minute. Um, so, so I have a quick question and I don't okay. know. So if somebody's able to go on a pack meal and walk to where they are, why do they need to be on the river? If well, you, you, can can't just get a, a, you can't get a pack mule down to a lot of the places. Oh, so they're leaving it in like a certain spot. So there was, like, a certain spot on the river, oh, I guess, okay. that they could. Right, like, maybe right. there was, like, a certain, like, gotcha. trail or something there. So navigating the Colorado River demanded physical exertion, which meant that the proper nutrition was cru cru crucial. They carefully planned their meals to ensure they had enough energy to tackle the rapids and rugged terrain. Their diet consisted of non-perishable foods such as canned goods, dried fruits, nuts, preserved meats. These compact and durable food items would sustain them throughout the journey. 
Considering the time period and the remote nature of the Grand Canyon, their meals were basic yet nourishing, providing necessary sustenance for the physical exertions. Sleeping arrangements during the journey were undoubtedly challenging. Elzada and Lois had to make do with the limited resources available to them. As they rafted down the river, they camped along the riverbanks each night, setting up a makeshift camp involving pitching tents, creating basic shelters, and using whatever materials were at hand. So back at this point, there were sandbars throughout the river, and people camped on those a lot, but those started going away as the dams got built up and stuff like yeah. that. So but there was, that's where a lot of people camped. Yeah, cool. And I've seen those in some of Caitlin's pictures. Given the rugged and unpredictable environment of the Grand Canyon, their sleeping arrangements might have been far from luxurious. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine. <laughs> uh, they slept on sleeping bags, simple bedding materials, finding rest amidst the sounds of flowing rivers and the surrounding wilderness. I can't imagine doing that now, let alone in 1930s. Yeah. No, no, ma'am. Caitlin loved it. I don't think I could do it. No. During their expedition... The women discovered a spring in the Grand Canyon. They called it Clover Spring in honor of Elzada. Oh. Isn't that neat? This naming not only acknowledged her contributions to botany and the expedition, but also left a physical mark on the landscape that continues to bear her name. So, you know, the the Georgie White, there's a uh, rapid named after her when you first go in. So it's kind of cool. So Clover and Jotter were not only explorers, but meticulous scientists. Throughout their journey, they collected numerous plant specimens from the Grand Canyon's diverse ecosystem. These specimens contributed significantly to the the herbarium collection at Brigham Young University and other institutions, becoming valuable resources for botanical research. Clover wrote in her journal, This part of the West is inaccessible because of a complete lack of roads and trails. It has never been explored botanically, and for that reason, everything collected will be of interest. Beyond, cl- beyond collecting plant specimens, Elzada and Lewis also documented their journey through photographs and artwork. Their visual records provide a unique window to the landscape, conditions, and camaraderie of their expo- exploration expedition. Sorry, These visual elements and depth add personal connection to the remarkable story. The expedition's success was a testament to the collaboration and dedication of the entire group. In early, in early August, the team made it to their desti- destination, Lake Mead, Arizona. Clover and Jotter had identified more than 50 species of plants along the river, wow. including four new species. And together, the team traversed more than 660 miles over the course of 45 days. Whew. That is a lot. That is a lot. The trip took over 43 days as they traveled and uh, through challenging waters and treacherous terrain. Jotter wrote of their time in the canyon. We collected furiously, Clover wrote. It was a part of the day's work to make a flying leap for shore, to climb steep cliffs after plants, and to get photographs. By the end of the trip, Clover and Jotter had identified five different plant zones and over 50 species. They also found four previously unidentified species. The trip was for the, was for the science, but they also made history when they were at when they were while they were at it. Clover was stubborn; she was determined. <laughs> The women's journey yielded not only immediate insight, but also lasting legacy in the world of botany. In addition to scientific documentation, both women also recorded personal reflections in their journey. They had, like, um, journals, and those were yeah. – the woman who wrote the book about them that I listened to, um, she she um, had their journals. Oh, that's cool. So That must have been pretty interesting. Yeah. So Clover said, it's a great river with 100 personalities – she said she felt a little guilty enjoying the river so much when so many others had not made it through alive. And she was talking about, like, one, like specifically talking about Bessie in this. Oh. These writings provide insights to their thoughts, emotions, and the challenges they faced. They offer a more intimate perspective on the expedition beyond the science scientific aspects. They had a hard time with the preservation of the flowers. They were very damaged at the end of the trip, and it was nearly impossible to keep them dry. Penelope, what are you doing? What are you doing, sis? What are you doing? Want to come up? Want to come up? Fuck off. Fuck off. Um, A journalist wrote about the journey and said, just because there are women on the trip, it did not make it successful. (laughs) (laughs) Men could have easily replaced the women, the writer said. It was about conquering the unknown and subduing the wilderness. 
Clover's name was misspelled in this article, and the word botany was never even used in the article. Oh, my God. Few people saw this as a scientific expedition because it wasn't led by men. The women's remarkable journey was a groundbreaking achievement in multiple dimensions. Not only did they chart new territories along the Colorado River, but they also charted new territories for women in the world of science and exploration. Their story serves as a testament to the power of passion, determination, and the belief that one's gender should never be a hindrance to pursue one's dreams. Their legacy endures as an inspiration to women everywhere, reminding us that the pursuit of knowledge knows no gender boundaries. Their journey stands as a testament to the spirit of those who dare to challenge the status quo and make their mark in history, irrespective of the obstacles they face. Later, after Lois and Elzada's expedition, some men were going down the river, and they packed up, packed up, and they were heading down the river, and they picked up a miner along the road, along the river. It was like just some random kid on the side the of the fuck? river. I was like, what the fuck? That's so weird. On one of the stops, one of the first stops, the miner wandered away from the camp and came across a stack of newspapers with cactuses sticking <gasps> out of the layers. He immediately knew what it was. Oh, really? The kid he, did? The kid did. And he brought it back to camp and they were like, holy well, I'm shit. I'm sure it was like a huge deal. They knew it. So when he brought it back to camp, they all knew exactly what it was and it was the lost press Did flowers. they actually bring it back? And they brought it back. Oh, well, that's Isn't nice. that so there cool? There were some nice men back then. The first female rangers in U.S. parks didn't start until 1918. This was a new idea, only a handful of women by 1938. The women actually wrote two papers about the botany of the river. They made this a they made this cool list of plants, like over 50 different kinds. The world eco, the word ecosystem wasn't even a thing back then. Yeah, it was brand new. But when you read, but when you read what they put down in their papers, you can totally see that's what they were getting at. They weren't just gathering up plants for the heck of it. They were digging into the questions like, why are these specific plants and not others? What's the secret sauce that makes them thrive here? How do they? How you know? How do they get there? Is it from animals? It's like cliffs, right, landslides, yeah. like. Did, like, a bird, like, eat a seed and, like, poop it out, like, right. somewhere? It's just, like, all these different things. Their papers have this super up-to-date vibe in the way that they understood how these different puzzle pieces fit together. And guess what? People still use those papers, papers today. Like, her, their... Oh, that's really cool. All their papers. They're, like, the OG botanical papers for that era from, <laughs> from back before they put up that Glen Canyon Dam in the 60s. <laughs> the OG papers. <laughs> so if you want to imagine what the river is like before all those huge dams came, these papers were the, one of the few ways to do it. But here's the bummer. They never got the props for what they deserve for their plant detective work. In 1952, the University of Michigan pressed several of Lois and Elzada's plants and set them, sent them to the Smithsonian, and they're still there. So they oh, did wow. Get some, they were hoping one of the boats would get – but they didn't. They, yeah. But – so Jotter had met a man through a friend. He was also a scientist, um, Victor Cutter. It's so funny. I have Victoria. Victor Cutter. <laughs> he taught at Cornell, and he was also a scientist. They corresponded through mail for quite some time. He wanted her to come visit him in Ithaca, Ithaca New York, where he lived. But she was working on her thesis paper at the time and worried what this relationship might bring. Marrying a man? Would it make her life more difficult? Yes. As the Great Depression spiked in as the Great Depression spiked discrimination for women in the workplace. Half of the United States, half of the states in the U.S. had a law against hiring a married woman. Are you serious? I swear to God. Lawmakers warned about the breakdown of civilization if women were allowed to work. Oh, my God. Cutter told her that Cornell was trying to hire more women in the upcoming year. So her, this man, they ended up marrying on October 24th, 1942 in Ann Arbor. Clover hosted the pre-wedding bash for for Jotter, which is kind of cool. Um, in 1943, she went back to Ann Arbor to defend her dissertations while she was her dissertation while she was six months pregnant with her first child. She now went by Dr. Cutter Jotter. Oh, good for her. So um, I'm sorry, Dr. Dr. I I wrote Jotter Cutter Cutter Jotter, but I think it should be Jotter Cutter. So hyphenated names weren't a thing back then, but she didn't care. She's like, no, I'm not losing my name. It's every you know. Yeah, right. Well, she might have made her name last because it was the most maybe well known. That's what I I wrote it that way, but I I, I guess I was doing this so. That's pretty crazy for back then. Yeah, it really was. So Victor Cutter died of cancer in 1962. She struggled a lot from his death. She said she had lost her best friend. 
She said she un- finally, in her first time in her life, understood the meaning of my better half. Aww. That's sad. Her home was, this is so cool. Her home was a safe place. Um, she dedicated herself to offer a place, her kitchen table, for a place of communication, botany, young women to seek out counseling about sex and pregnancy. Also, she counseled older couples in sex in same-sex relationships who had very few safe places to go. Oh, that's really sweet. I mean, this is way before her time. Yeah. Um, so Rose E. Collum was the first paid botanist at the Grand Canyon National Park. She was a self-taught botanist who eventually became an expert in Arizona plants. She collected several previously unidentified species, many of which were named after her. After a field trip to the Grand Canyon in 1938, Colum received a grant to collect species in the park. She collected species specimens at the Grand Canyon through 1954. And Clover had gone on an expedition with her. So she was like, went oh, cool. on a trip with her. Yeah. Um, the her- Herbarium at Grand Canyon National Park Museum Collections has over 800 of her specimens. Clover died on November 2nd, 1980 at the age of 84. In 1994, there was a lot of controversy about how the river was changing. They were about to do extensive research but needed valuable information on how the river looked before the Glen Canyon Dam. They decided to ask Jotter to join them. At age 80, she received an invitation from the U.S. Geological Survey letter on from the U.S. Geological Survey letterhead, and the the project the in bold letters at the bottom at, under the heading it said Research Project Office. She was invited on a 12-day rafting trip through the Grand Canyon to assess ecological changes. She was 80. 80. Did she go? Listen. Oh, sorry. (laughs) It was all about science. They wanted her to join because of her knowledge and skills. She said yes. (gasps) Jotter was excited and still had her sense of humor. During the paperwork for the trip, when they asked if she had dietary restrictions, she said, avoid grape nuts. (laughs) At this time in her life, she was active in several bridge clubs and had tell them she would be gone a few weeks and she was ter- she didn't want to tell anybody because they were all be like what the fuck are you yeah, crazy right. when they asked where she was going she's like oh just camping in arizona with some friends most of them didn't know of her earlier life adventures she returned from her second trip with a feeling of renewed life so she actually like made it through wow she made it through and she was like so astonished at like the food and the provisions oh, like so everything different. she was like yeah. this is insane she was like so excited <laughs> she wondered how she had stayed away from the river for so long she died on April 30th, 2013, at the age of 99. Holy shit. In the U.S., half of the Bachelor of Science degrees go to women, yet these women go on to earn only earn 74% of what men earn. In another recent study, it will take another two decades before men and women publish papers at the same rates. Women have since become leaders in scientific study and natural resource per- preservation at Grand Canyon. Learning about the women pioneers at the Grand Canyon shows us how far we have come and for what work we have we have and what work we have to do in the future. Clover and Jotter's stories serve as a reminder of the strength of character and the impact that individuals can have when they passionately pursue their interests and contribute to the advancement of knowledge. Aww. Isn't that a great story? Yeah, it is a great story. It was a really, it was really cool. I did so much research on this one, and it was just, it was like amazing. I mean, just to, I, I mean, I can't get into the details of like the, like I was saying, the plants and where they grow and why. Yeah, and how right, would yeah. The, how would that plant seed get to that place? Was it like from water running over? Was right. it and how is it thriving? Like yeah, what, what's making it thrive right how could it live that long there and like it's like this dark crevice like how could it there's not getting sunlight like it's just it was so i mean like and they talk about it in the book like all the different species and how they grow and i was like i can't get into all that that's (laughs) that's a that's a rabbit hole that's and then the and then the you know the um latin names for all of them like i'm not even going there i can't even say the lamb damn lady's name right (laughs) so it was that's good that's very interesting definitely badass women i can't wait for caitlin to listen to this episode because she didn't know who they were so oh really yeah so i'll be yeah i'll be tagging her in this maybe her and her friends or maybe when it releases i'll be like yo yo all you you'll be uh, maybe i'll hashtag grand canyon river i'm sure you won't do anything Fuck off, Rose. I'm going to do it tonight. <laughs> You're going to be sleeping. You're not going to do it tonight. The post? You're not going to do this? it For this? I am going to do it tonight. Mm-hmm. Either tonight or tomorrow night. Okay. 
Oh, you don't believe me? No. I will. I don't. You're going to owe me what? Ten dollars. I'll let you go to Australia. Okay, that sounds good. <laughs> so, so that was great, Len. Good job. Thanks. So proud of you. It was fun. It was fun. You're right. So, a if break? you like that, oh yeah, you guys. If you, I forgot. We have if you like that, let us know. Give us a give us a slide into our DMs or reach out on our social media at No Ordinary Women Pod on. Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok, and on Twitter at no, oh, what is it called? X now, sorry, not Twitter. Oh, yeah. No Ord Women Pod, O R D. And then you can always email us at no ordinary women pod at gmail.com too. Slide on into our DMs. We love it. Yeah. And don't be sliding in our DMs saying that you bought a product from us that we, you want to return because we know that's a oh spam. Oh, my God. We've gotten like a hundred of oh those. Oh, my God. Messages. I'm like, it's so oh, irritating. We got a message. We got an inbox. And I'm like, uh, your product is very bad quality. And I'm like, that's Rose. I have no control over that. <laughs> yeah, it's stupid spam shit. Yeah. So anyway. All right. Until next week. Bye. Bye.